Thank you for listening to our messages online. Just a quick reminder, you may also listen to them on the WCC app, available for Apple and Android devices. Today, Pastor Cyrus finishes our study on the book of Jonah. Go ahead and take a seat. And welcome again to Willamette Community Church. And I want to say thanks again to all those people who served at Serve Inc. That was a really neat time. I still think I'm finding paint on me in different places. I know my, my kids got more paint on the walls than on themselves. And so that was pretty great. But it was warm. I see a lot of you uh, doing what you can to stay cool. I wore my, uh, this is a shirt I got when I went to the Philippines on a missions trip. And it's a shirt that actually helps me stay nice and cool. And so uh, try not to think about it. But there is a very appropriate part of our story today when we talk about the heat. So uh, don't worry, we'll get there. And then you guys can just experience and think of the heat that Jonah was feeling. But before we do that, we're going to do a quick review of the book of Jonah, the first three chapters, okay? And so Jonah's story is actually God's story, a story of how relentless he is in his love for people. And so in chapter one, we see God's relentless justice, power, pursuit, and mercy And we see man's heart demonstrated in Jonah and in those sailors that were on the boat with Jonah. So God said, go, and Jonah said, no. Well, he kind of said, yes, but he said, I'm going to go the opposite way, right? And so God was showing his justice by wanting to deal with the evil, the violence, and the wickedness that was in Nineveh. And that's why God wanted Jonah to go there. Jonah said, no. And he was rebellious. And so he got on the boat, and God said, well, uh, I want you to go my way, Jonah. This is my plan for you. And Jonah was, of course, still wandering, and God sent a powerful storm, and that storm threatened to destroy the ship and everyone that was on it. And so all of those mariners, those sailors, were all praying to their gods. They were most likely Phoenicians, and they believed in a whole bunch of different gods. And they were praying to probably their favorite, saying, help me. And of course, they didn't help, right? Those are false gods. The one true God was at work, and Jonah told them that's why the sea was the way it was. And so they said, okay, well, what do we need to do, Jonah? And he said, well, um, you're going to have to throw me overboard. He could have said, I need to... Repent. I need to change my heart and mind and do what God wants me to do. But he didn't say that. He said, you're going to have to throw me overboard. Because why? Jonah had a real hardened heart against God. So God continues to pursue. The storm continues to get worse. And then the, the men on the boat say, okay, God, we're going to do things your way. We throw Jonah overboard. The sea is calm. Right? And God shows mercy on those sailors. And Jonah goes into the water and gets swallowed up by the giant fish. That brings us to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is a prayer. It's a, it's a prayer that Jonah has as he reflects on his time in the belly of the fish. And we see God's relentless love requiring a response from Jonah. Well... His relentless love is seen through the trials that he brought into Jonah's life. And sometimes he brings trials into our life. And 
if we're not careful, we won't see those trials as God's love. We will see them as something else. Because even God's discipline is his love for us, right? So Jonah's response was repentance and worship. And God rescued him and gave him a second chance. We see in chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And so Jonah then had a second chance to go to Nineveh. And he was obedient this time. And he preached the message, which was 40 days and it's all, your, your whole city is going to be overthrown. In uh, the Hebrew, it's like a four, maybe five-word sermon. That's all we got. I think it's four words, and that's it. So we don't know the whole story. We don't know if people stopped him and said, can you explain that, please? Or can you tell me why you smell like the inside of a fish? We don't know what the conversation was like, but we do know that the people of Nineveh believed God, it doesn't say they believed Jonah, it says they believed God, and then they changed, and they repented, they humbled themselves, sackcloth and ashes, sitting there, mourning what they have done, their evil and their violence. And that brings us to the end of chapter 3. All right. So what's interesting about that is that we see that God's relentless love was met with a response from those Ninevites, and it was humility, and it was repentance. And so you had this huge nation called the Assyrian nation, and then you had the capital being Nineveh, full of people that were really wicked and violent. So the Ninevites were known for not fish-slapping people, like it says in Veggie Tales. But they were known for doing brutal and violent things like skinning people alive. Yuck, right? You can't do that today without significant repercussions, even in war times and things like that. But that's what they were known for. And they were so good at it that they could keep people alive the longest out of any other nation while they were skinning them. They were a brutal, violent people. And they all, according to the story, they all said, wow, we realize our violence and our evil ways, and we are, we are sorry, and we're turning from those things. And so what are uh, you thinking Jonah's response, what would it be, right? You would expect, hey, God's relentless love was received by these people, and Jonah would say, yay, but no. Let's read. Jonah... Chapter 4, verse 1. This is page 774. So turn, if you have a Bible there uh, in the pew, it would be page 774. Jonah, chapter 4. And we'll see that last week, God's relentless love required a response. And this week, our theme is this. Our perspective determines our response to God. Okay? That's our theme our perspective determines our response to God. So God has relentless love, but how we respond to that is going to be dependent on our perspective, and we will see that throughout the book. In fact, let's see it right now. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, 
Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? All right, so let's go back up to verse 1 and start to look at Jonah's response to God's relentless love. The first thing you notice is that it displeased Jonah and that he was angry. It displeased Jonah and he was angry. And here, next to this, I want you to write down that he took it personal. He took it personal. What God was doing with this evil nation, he was only able to respond to God out of a personal, visceral response. You see, this anger came from somewhere. In fact, I believe that anger is a secondary response. In other words, when you and I, or even Jonah, get angry, it's because there is something else that has probably been wounded within us. There may be some hurt. There may be some sadness. There may be even a sense of injustice. And I found this to be true about me. When I'm offended, whether it be with my kids or my wife or someone else, even driving down the road, I think to myself, why did I get so mad? Why am I so angry right now? And it may have been simply because Who do you think you are cutting in front of me? You're not going to pass me on the highway, right? Or you're one of the, maybe you're a kid and you're not going to listen to your parents. Why? Because you're a kid. Well, don't you know who I am? I am the dad, right? You need to listen to me. Or maybe it's the spouse. Ooh, this is, I've got to be careful here. Maybe my perspective is so selfish That when my wife is doing something that I don't like, I take offense because I've been disrespected or I've been hurt because of uh, something that she maybe didn't even know was going on. Hmm. So one of the things that we have to remember here is that he's taking this personally. And instead of rejoicing, his perspective of God's relentless love is that, that it displeased him and that it made him angry. Right? There's something going on with the heart of Jonah. Let's see if we can figure out what it is. Verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? <laughs> okay. Let's read it the way that I think Jonah was feeling. Okay, What do we know about the way Jonah was feeling? He was displeased and exceedingly angry. Mildly irritated? No. Slightly frustrated? Uh Uh-uh. Exceedingly angry. So if you're a small child in here, this may scare you, but I'm trying to get across what Jonah must have felt. And he prayed to the Lord. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. I knew it! Come on, God, really? I knew this would happen. 
way back when I was at home and you came to me, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I went the other way. I know you said go right. I, I went left. Why? Because I knew it. I'm so mad. And I wonder if he was like, I don't think this is one of those prayers that was like in his head, right? Like, hmm. I think he was fired up. And he, the spittle was probably coming out of his mouth and the little bits of foam may have been in the corners. I don't know. I, but he, his nostrils were was flaring. I had a cousin that was from another country and uh, his English was not that great. And somebody was trying to ask him how he was feeling and he said, I am hot inside. Oh, man, have you been hot inside? Jonah was hot inside. He was fired up. Why? Because he knew the Ninevites. He knew Assyria, and he was prejudiced. He had hate in his heart. He was racist. (laughs) He was racist. He knew what the Ninevites and the Assyrians had done. He knew how wicked they were. He knew how violent they were. He wanted justice his way. He wanted his will to be done. And it wasn't going the way he planned. He was wanting destruction for Nineveh, but instead, God showed mercy. So one of the things we have to wrestle with is, does that ever happen in our own heart? You see, he was all about him. Jonah's focus was totally on himself. Listen, Jonah says, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee, for I knew that you were, and then this is the hardest thing to understand. Listen to the five attributes. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. It's at this point that I don't think there's any question of how well Jonah knew God. Some people would like to say, oh, you know, Jonah probably didn't know God that well. I, I really think he knew God very well, and that's why he didn't want to see God be so merciful. You know, there are people in our lives, there are maybe even groups of people that we really despise. We have a root of bitterness And we would much rather see God's justice from our point of view, God's wrath, rather than God's mercy. Maybe you live with that person. Maybe it's someone that hurt you in the past. Maybe it's someone you don't know at all. Maybe it's it's some group of people you've seen on the news. And you're more quick to pray imprecatory, God destroy them to dust kind of prayers than God be merciful to them and show them your grace and help them to come to know Christ. We have to look within ourselves and we have to figure out why our perspective is the way it is because our perspective really does determine our response to God. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will make everything right in his own time. And so for us, we need to make sure that we are staying where he wants us. That we are not so quick to make it all about us. You see, Jonah was ultimately 
so mad at God. Look at verse 3. Now, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He says, if I don't get what I want, I don't even want to live. That's what he says. Um, If you've ever been a child or if you have children, I think that covers everyone, you may have had this experience where you don't get what you want, maybe even as an adult. It's no fair. I have, there's a little story of my four-year-old. This happened just yesterday. My four-year-old is watching my eight-year-old daughter play. My eight-year-old daughter had these little stuffed animals, and she was having a good time. And, and my four-year-old little boy, he wanted one of them. And he says, I want one. You know, and his little body gets all stiff and his arms extended. Give me one of those. I want it. And she's just playing with them, and she's like, these are mine. I... Now, could she have shared? Yeah. Did she eventually share? I think she did, actually. But he just, you could tell in his heart, he just wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it now. It's like, oh, man, can any of us relate to that? We want what we want, and we want it now, and if we don't get it our way, then, oh, it's so frustrating. Jonah was so frustrated, he was so angry, he said, it is better for me to die than to live. He's better for me to die than to live. If I can't get things the way I want them, then I don't even want to live like this. Lord, help this not be us. He was so wrapped up in himself, he wasn't able to see God's point of view. So what did the Lord do? Well, the Lord... He's so gracious. He asks him a question. And we see that the Lord questions Jonah's perspective and character with this one simple question. Do you do well to be angry? He's basically saying, do you have any good reason to be angry? Are you you right? Do you have any right to be angry? I can't help but see... Dr. Phil. I, I haven't seen Dr. Phil in a long time. I don't even know if he's still on television. But I can't help but see Dr. Phil or maybe hear God with the southern twang a little bit. And he says, do you do well to be angry? But what he really says is, how's that working for you? That's kind of how I imagine this situation if it was maybe modern day. How's that working for you? Come on. Have a little perspective, Jonah. Take some time to reflect. You know, Dr. Phil, he would sit with these people and they would talk about their lives and how, how much of, a, of the problem they're in and, and how they want to keep doing things their own way. And Dr. Phil would say, well, how's that working for you? And God's basically saying, well, do you do well to be angry? And what's Jonah's response? Silence. At this point, he doesn't respond. So do you think God gives up? course not. He doesn't give up. But it leads me to ask you guys some questions. Is all of your anger righteous indignation? Is all of your anger fueled by the injustice of God's same injustice? Is that what's fueling your fire? 
What makes you angry that shouldn't make you angry? What makes you angry that probably shouldn't make you angry? And why? What's going on in there? What's triggering you? What's triggering your anger? Is it hurt? Is it sadness? Is it injustice? What's going on? I think that's one of the beauties of this question is a time of reflection. God saying, do you do well to be angry? Now, the irony here is that God brings up his Jonah's anger right after what did Jonah bring up of God, his character, right? Man, the wisdom of God. Jonah, you just pointed out who I am. Now, let me just ask you, why are you the way you are? How rich is that irony? And this book is full of it. Let's go to verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. You see, Jonah was hoping that it wasn't over yet. He was hoping that maybe they didn't really mean it. And God would destroy him after all. Uh, if you look at some of the old maps, and actually, well, the hills are still there. There's an interesting topography. There's a little river that runs through the, the city, and it goes into the Tigris. And on one side was a hill that had the palace on it. And on the other side was a hill that traditionally is called Jonah's Hill. And some people believe that Jonah was buried there. And they believe that's the place where Jonah sat and watched to see if the city would be destroyed. And I really believe that's what Jonah was doing. He could have just left and thought, oh, it's over. But I think he really did go back and sit down and he kind of thought, maybe, maybe there's a chance that God will still get him. And I want to be here if he does, right? He was still holding out hope for what? For what he wanted. He was still holding out hope that he might get his way. Now, this is a hot place. This is modern-day Iraq, and the modern-day city is Mosul, M-O-S-U-L. And one thing I do remember when I saw coverage of the war going on out there is how hot it would be. I heard stories of soldiers saying that dust would get in everything and get everywhere, even in them, and it was very unpleasant. So this is not, like, this is warm today, but it's not that hot compared to what it must have been like over there. But you notice, Jonah is still not convinced. He just had this conversation with God. God asks him to take some time and reflect, and does he listen? Does he change? Does his attitude change? No. And I'm reminded of a quote, and the quote is this. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. I'll say that again. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. That, that precise quote is credited to Dale Carnegie, but this concept has been around hundreds of years, and it has shown up in a couple of different ways in some really old literature. And it's just that idea that you might be able to convince someone of something, but if they are, are not uh, going to change their heart, 
then it doesn't really matter. They're going to do the same thing. So here's a practical example. Um, I had the privilege of serving in youth ministry for about 15 years before I came here to Willamette. And my wife and I, we would sit and talk with high school students especially quite a bit. And one of the conversations I remember really vividly, I was talking with uh, a student and they were going through some real struggles, making some really bad decisions. And so we would talk with the student and say, do you see where this is leading? Do you see if you continue this way, it's going to end up in destruction? We would say, this is what God's word says. What do you think? And they would say something else. They would try to say, well, I'm an exception or I'm a victim or I don't have to do God's will for this reason or that reason. And so we'd say, well, God's word says this. And we would try to continue to instruct and show God's truth. And you know what they would say? Ultimately, okay, you're right, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. We thought, how can that be? We have just we have just presented such a good airtight argument. And you have admitted that God's word and, and our perspective is true, but you're not willing to change. How can that be? And we realized that people have got to work alongside with God for change to happen within themselves. Right? God allows people to be rebellious. He will continue to discipline them. He will continue to work and pursue them. But God is kind and gentle. His discipline may be severe, but it's so that he will ultimately have his children with him. I wonder if this is something that you're guilty of, because I know I am. There are times when I know what God's word is, and I know his way is right, but, and I don't, I just... I want to do things my own way. I want to be healthy, but I still like to eat that second dinner about 10 o'clock. Right? Oh, and then I wonder why I'm uncomfortable sometimes or why I don't sleep well while I throw down a huge bag of chips and salsa. So Jonah is in this situation where he's still hoping that the city will be destroyed. Let's go to verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. God appoints a plant. Why? To improve Jonah's circumstances because God is showing Jonah something. God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson. And so God realizes it's hot. He, he knows Jonah has already built this booth, this shelter, to try to give himself some shade. And so God says, all right, you want some shade? I'll help your circumstances. I'll show you some comfort. And God, overnight, has this plant grow up. <clears throat> and look at what it says. Jonah was exceedingly glad. Yay, Jonah's happy. Why is Jonah happy? Is it because of what the Lord has done? No, it isn't. It's because of the plant. He doesn't give God even the credit he deserves. This miraculous thing happens, and he says, yay for the plant. So God says, oh, good, mm, I got you where I want you. You see, we begin to see Jonah's perspective, and Jonah's perspective is this. He is self-centered and short-sighted. 
Jonah's perspective is that he is self-centered and short-sighted. Jonah is wrapped up in the here and in the now. He is wrapped up in comfort. Because of his discomfort, his response to God is very significant and severe. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So here you see God appointing things, God orchestrating things, God working in Jonah's life so that Jonah might learn an important lesson. God even turns up the heat with this scorching east wind. And we see what is really important to Jonah is his own comfort. You see, God took away that thing that he was holding so close. He took away his beloved and precious plant. What's so, what do you hold so close to you that if it was taken away, you would get angry? What's your plant? What, what is, it, is it that you, you covet and you, you really love more than you should? Maybe it's even something that was out of your control to begin with. God appoints this scorching wind, and it brings heat exhaustion. And what does he say? I'd rather die than to live in the midst of these circumstances. He was so depressed. He was so wrapped up in himself that because his circumstances were not the way he wanted, he would have rather died. He was still sitting on this hill. He was still witnessing this amazing thing that God had done. And yet he would rather have died because he was uncomfortable. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you, well, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. So what is God saying? Jonah, I recognize your focus is on the plant. Jonah, I recognize your focus is on your circumstances. Is that really the most important thing? Reflect now, Jonah. Take a look at what's really going on. You know who I am. You know what I'm doing. Are you really going to be focused on the plant, Jonah? Yes, I am. So much so that I'm ready to die because things haven't gone my way. I'm not getting what I want. Cries my heart and yours. Did Jonah learn? No, and we can tell by his answer. He's so angry. He's so self-focused and short-sighted. He doesn't recognize that God just saved 600,000 people and their animals. He, all he sees is that he didn't get his way. Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity or have compassion on the plant for which you did not labor, you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 
120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. This is, the, this is where you see the Lord's desire. The Lord desires compassion and right relationships. That's what's important to God. And that's what this story is all about. He's saying, Jonah, where's your compassion? You have more compassion on a plant that you don't deserve than on 600,000, this whole huge city, this whole generation. You don't have compassion. You don't care about being in a right relationship with me. You don't care about them being in a right relationship with me. All you care about is your way, getting what you want and being comfortable. Now, at this time in the message, I hate to warn you, but most of the places where the word Jonah is used in your notes or in this sermon, you could probably replace your name or mine because that's the reality of our hearts, right? Jonah is demonstrating the rebellious heart, the sinful heart of man. What is God concerned with? He's concerned with people being in a right relationship with him. He's concerned with his character being known and being shared with people. And that's what we see. The Lord desires compassion and right relationships. But Jonah didn't want what God wants. So let me, let me ask you, do you want what God wants? And I don't mean just morally. That's the easy part. Most of us can morally say, yeah, we want to live the way God wants us to live. We want to live in a world without murder and stealing, without hate and discrimination. We want to have good families and good marriages. Yeah, we want things to be God's way. But are you willing to go to the people that have offended you and to share God's character, his grace, his mercy? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to pursue comfort over God's calling? Because most of the time, I am. Let me ask it the other way. Do you pursue your comfort more than God's calling? I know I do, more often than I even realize. You see, Jonah obeyed out of obligation, but his heart wasn't really changed. He submitted to God's morality, but not God's priority. I think we're more comfortable with being like, okay, we'll be moral people, but God, don't make us change our plans. Don't make us go to somewhere that, where we're uncomfortable. We have our own plan, and we like it because we're kind of comfortable in it. And too often, we're not making ourselves available to do the very thing God is asking us to do. Well, Pastor Cyrus, I don't really know what God's asking me to do. Well, maybe not uh, specifically, but generally you do. You know that he has called us all to be ministers of this message of peace. We're called to be ambassadors, proclaiming that God has made peace through everyone available through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. When was the last time you can honestly say you were a good ambassador for Christ? When was the last time that you said, I am willing to subject my plans to God's priorities? 
You see, what's God's perspective? God's perspective is that there are people out there that will spend eternity away from him that his son died for. And he is asking if we will come alongside them and share the message of hope. God's perspective is that there are lost people. And sometimes my perspective is more that I am uncomfortable. My perspective is different. What God sees as urgent and what I see is urgent is often not the same thing. And I realize that my perspective determines my response to God. And I think that's the case for all of us. When we're walking with him and we're doing things his way, then how we respond to our circumstances is different. But when our perspective is, is inward, our perspective is on our own comfort. And by the way, comfort could be another word for happiness. That we are most often wanting to get things done our way and bring God alongside. It's like, God, can we do both, please? And, and he's like, sometimes, but most of the time, put me first and then allow the other stuff to come along. So what is your perspective on the urgent? Is your perspective determined by God's relentless love? That's really the question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the more I consider your perspective and what's important to you, I realize I have to adjust my own perspective. My perspective too often is on my own comfort, my own happiness. And I, I know you don't want us to, to suffer needlessly, but you have told us that we will suffer for righteousness. And that there's this strange thing that happens when we do what is right, we receive the pleasure that comes from you because we are right with you, even when our circumstances may be difficult. Help us to walk alongside you so that we may enjoy that contentment alongside the godliness so that we can have great gain. Help us, God, to be the ambassadors you know the world needs. Help us, God, to have your perspective and to be changed from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week as we continue growing closer to God and helping others along the way.